welcome back to Three Decades of Tragedy, History of the Thirty Years' War. So last time, I covered the campaign through Saxony and Bohemia by Benair, which resulted in months of raiding, but no significant battles, trying to put pressure on those making a new faction. This struggle then evolved into trying to acquire a few independent armies that were fighting the war, France gaining full control of Bernhard's men and territory after his death, as well as securing the army of Hessen Castle and the Gulefs, leaving no independent armies for the Imperials to claim. The Emperor also realized he was in an increasingly bad position, especially with the loss of these armies, and was even pushed back by the French during this standoff, so he knew the Imperials were being pushed on the back foot. But with that covered, let's get started. Ferdinand gathered an army of around 44,000 by draining troops from other areas by January 1640, which is a risky gambit as it weakens the other fronts. But not all these men were available as a field army, with only 12,000 or so under the command of Archduke Wilhelm, with 4,000 men gained from reinforcements from Hadsfeld. Others were also weakened before this, with Piccolomini only having 13,000 men under his command in Westphalia, the Saxons only able to muster on 7,000 men, which is a quarter of their strength from five years before. The Bavarians only had around 17,000 men, and most of them were on the Rhine to block the French, and some, like Brandenburg, really didn't have much to give as they couldn't give the manpower to the Imperials that they needed. The Imperials were clearly drained of men as a whole, and that didn't look good when France could only ramp up their numbers as the years continued, though Sweden was in a similar position as they were drained of men and money as well. Years of fighting had done its damage, and the Imperials were paying for the success of the previous years as well as their inability to end the war against the Swedes or French, which meant they had to keep fighting and spending money instead of being able to recuperate and take land and that sort of thing. Granted, they had a lot of debt to pay after after the war, but money would give an immediate boost in stability that the war was degrading. The other effect of these lack of numbers was that the Imperials could only attack one part of Germany at a time. Unlike previous years where they could attack their opponents on multiple fronts, they just didn't have the men. They couldn't stretch the resources to attack multiple fronts at once. But like I said before, the Swedes were not in a better position themselves. The main army under Bonaire was only around 10,000, and he had to retreat from Bohemia, joining up with Erfurt, the town not like a guy. And the forces in place to hold Saxony were defeated at, at Plauen, driving them back, which forced the garrison at Chemnitz to surrender by April. Other garrisons pulling back, knowing they couldn't hold. The Swedes had also been fighting for years, so no doubt their territory was suffering from manpower issues as well, relying on reinforcements being trained in the Swedish Empire, which would still take time to train and get over there. But France and Sweden had a different overall issue than manpower, as France could still bring to bear their significant population. Their main issue was trying to create a unified political front against the enemy, even though both sides did have their own political motives. This also included people like the Hessians and the Gulefs, who were major power players of their own, and had of independent power to make their own treaties and agreements with France and Sweden, so this could make it hard to create a unified front, and wasn't helped when the Emperor tried to keep negotiating even though there was no chance that it was going to happen, just to frustrate and slow the process. But this, however, did backfire on the Emperor, as his tendency to negotiate let the Gulefs and Hessians build up their forces, who then sent their men to Sweden. And Duke George wanted to protect his holding of Hildesheim, which I mentioned before was being given to another man, and while he mustered 20,000 men, he still had to garrison his own lands, with 6,000 in the Wesser and 4,500 acting as a field army, leaving the rest to go to Sweden. Amelie Elizabeth also announced her alliance with France, though promised to maintain the truce in Westphalia, wanting to keep her lands safe. 4,000 men under Melander joined the Swedes, and Richelieu called de Longueville to take command of Bernhard's former army, hoping his status as Duke would grant him enough authority to those troops, as well as his general skill in military arts. This army wasn't insignificant, being around 8,000, so getting it would be a boon to 
De Longueville's forces. So Sweden and France were making strides, and even if it was only northern Germany, this strengthened their hold and gave them more stability to plan an offensive, especially with the major noble factions supporting them, of the north. Ferdinand was forced to react to this, as he still wanted to win over the Hessians at the very least. He did accept Amelie Elizabeth's promise of neutrality, but that was quickly broken as a new army commander was named, who attacked the positions of the Hessians, which broke the truce and caused more fighting to start happening. This had consequences, as the Hessians began to raid more intensely, and Piccolomini pursued Melander's army, heading east, and Piccolomini joined up with reinforcements at Saalfeld on May 5th. This resulted in a standoff, the Imperials digging in and blocking access to Franconia. The Swedes were heavily involved in this, and Bonaire was forced to fall back to Lower Saxony after a while, which the Gulefs were afraid meant that the Swedes would abandon them, especially after their alliance was so fresh and new. So, they were promised 5,000 men, the Swedes that is, and that was enough to get the Swedes to start marching south again, moving on Gottingen and Castle. Bonaire's army was then shadowed by the main Imperial army, who then entrenched at Fritzlar by August. Thor was effectively turning to war maneuvering with minor skirmishing, being the majority of the fighting, and this would drag on to both sides as the winter was cold and the summers were wet, so it really wasn't a comfortable time to be marching either way. This would make gathering resources hard, which in turn would make it hard to feed an army, especially if there was stretching supply lines. The strategic moves resulted in the Imperials meeting reinforcements after Bonaire retreated back, again, after a Bavarian army appeared to help restore the Imperial forces. A retreat was probably a good decision by the Swedes, especially if they were outnumbered. But the two armies probably wanted to avoid major conflict till they could ensure they won, as they did have multiple weak standoffs with little fighting involved, which you would think would result in a major battle, but both sides were probably thinking about their recruitment issues and payment issues. The Imperial Army was back to around 25,000 to 30,000 by this point, although this would still create the issues that would plague any larger army. But with this new larger army, the Imperials took Hoxter by October, but the army, despite its size, was also tired and low on discipline, so the Imperials were forced to retreat south after the late fall slash winter winds began to pick up, which promised little supplies they could gather. With the war campaigning cooling down, the Swedes then blockaded Wolfenbuttel with 7,000 men, the rest of his army settling into Gulef lands. So it wasn't really active fighting more, keeping them from getting supplies. Not much had changed territory-wise, each side playing games and trying to outmaneuver and outplay their opponent. It seemed they were sizing each other up, which wasn't irregular when there was no major active campaigns or not major active war campaigns like this. And like I said earlier, both sides were having recruitment issues, so even winning a major battle could result in more losses than you could take. But there was a new dynamic and shift in power as the war in Germany changed and shifted. The North became a more important part of the war, so the conflict to the South became a lot less central as the Rhine became the battleground of the South, which was still much smaller than the thing in the North. Both sides in the South could not really muster large armies, not able to field more than 3,000 men, which meant that long sieges or major battles really weren't possible. Airlock disrupted plans to besiege Hohen Hohentwil by raiding the Swabian Harvest, and the campaign to attack wider hold by the Imperials was cancelled in January 1642 due to lack of food and supplies after a year of campaigning. The Imperials did not find a lot of success, while the allies of France and Sweden found success against the enemy, even if it was small victories. So, conflicts like this really weren't what, you know, glorious history books would write about. This is smaller stuff, but this did keep men and materials from being pulled up north that could assist the Imperials, so every little bit counts in a big-scale war like this. 
But since the South got less attention, the North became the main focus. There was fear from the Dutch that the French assisting in northern Germany would draw them into the war. The North suffered more from all this, as Thuringia was attacked, despite claiming neutrality, the leaders desperate to avoid looting and pillaging. There was also fear from the Dutch that the French assisting in northern Germany would draw them into the war, but fortunately for them, the Imperials had withdrawn the majority of their forces from Luxembourg, leaving only a few units behind to deal with more local power issues, which was hardly a threat to the French or the Swedes, or even the Dutch. So it wouldn't really bring the Dutch into this. The Hessians then focused on asserting their authority on the eastern bank of the Rhine, capturing Kalkar in 1641, which let them communicate more freely with the French. Kalkar would actually become a fortress for the Hessians, as it was maintained by hostages that would make sure contributions came in to keep it paid for. And it was a bit cruel, but as we've seen in this war, cruelty is the name of the game, and whether we like it or not, that was just how this war evolved. You can't unbottle something once it's been released. But it wasn't all rainbows and sunshine for the Swedes and French, as by the end of 1640, Melander had defected to the Imperials, disagreeing with Amelie Elizabeth's policies. And by the next year, Melander was named as a field marshal and a count, although he was considered too compromised to be really used, and to the court of the Imperials, he would look compromised as he worked with the enemy, and he couldn't be trusted necessarily, they didn't know if he was a double agent necessarily, so he was sent to do pointless peace talks between Spain and the Dutch. But defection of the officer did nothing to offset the new issues that were being created by this shift in the war. The Imperials did control central and southern Germany solidly, but they had effectively lost the north, which meant the balance was more precarious as it was a solid launching point by the Swedes and French. This didn't mean the Swedes and French were winning, it just meant they were in a better position to go on the offensive and marshal their resources. This would not be good for the Imperials, but the next couple years would define how the new balance of war would go, but whatever would happen, the years of Imperial dominance were over, and it would be a hard fight to get it back if they could ever do it. I'm sorry this might be short, I had a bunch of real-life issues, and some technical issues on some of my early recordings, so if this comes out late, but I'm happy to finally finish this, properly at least. And next time, we focus on the new dynamics of the war and the eternal changes of this shaky period. I want to thank you all for listening. Social media links will be in the description box on the links themselves. You can email me at 3decot at gmail.com. Reminder that I have a Patreon. Thanks for those who support me, interview and spread the word, and I'll see you guys next time. <laughs>